Good morning and welcome to Hearty Dice Friends! My name is Grant Howitt and I'm doing power poses while doing all of these words. <laughs> they do sound like big words. Is it coming through? It really is coming through, yes. Yeah, yeah, try it yourself. Try no, I'm your a little intimidated around. now. Move, no, just intimidate me back. Move your arms around, it's great. I'm waving my arms. See? I'm very yeah. tired. Oh yeah, there is that. Oh, sleep now. Hello and welcome to Hearty Dice Friends episode 122. That's episode 122, which is interestingly enough, all I am wearing while we record. <laughs> My name's Grant Howitt, a pretty little ballerina, and I'm joined today by the enormous Christopher Taylor. Hello. My my brain is currently full of, ex- of, of a single image now. I can, I can fully picture you in it. Like it doesn't it doesn't even seem weird. It's just like oh that's just what he's wearing. So like I like to imagine I'm not pulling it off, but I'm not letting that stop me. No, exactly. But you're just you're yeah. just wearing it, right? That's just what yeah, you're wearing yeah, yeah. right now. Just got it on, yeah. When I said that's all I'm wearing, are there objects in the foreground to obscure things that aren't safe for TV? Or are nope. we uh Oof, okay. That is a, that t- that tutu is riding up. This is ow. This is a role playing game podcast where mm. we uh we 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 cure your problems, you come to us, you bring your tired, your hungry, your masses yearning to be good at games. And you come to us with questions, and we, we, we answer those questions for you with our mouths and brains. And then, just to show that we're not full of shit, we spend the second half of the episode kind of inventing games. <laughs> just to show we're not full of shit, we spend the last half of the episode doing our day job. In but a, recording it. Yeah, like kind of doing our day job, but only the fun bit. Like yes. the bit that, that literally anyone can do. So I'm concerned that actually the second half of this program undermines the first. <laughs> Maybe we should just form. do like really extended admin and balance checks. Mm, um, yeah. And just, yeah. We both you know, know how to do that. Well, not the admin. Yeah. Christopher. Grant. You got a box. I did get a box. You got a I, big I, mysterious I, box. I got the world's biggest box. I got a foot square black cube of role playing game. Mm, invisible Sun. And honestly, so far it is the best role-playing game I've ever played. You've not played it yet, have you? No, I've barely opened the mm-hmm. box. Yes. Um, but what I am doing is I am, I am slowly teasing the information within on our Discord. Yes. And people are guessing. They're just making guesses at stuff. It's been a cross between... That bit from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, where Charlie just peels back a little bit of the wrapper every day. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say Tuesday afternoon striptease. Yeah, like, this This is a naughty box you're looking at here. Mm. It, it's a it, cheeky little box. It can open real slow. It's got drawers. It does have drawers. It's got cloth maps. And the best part is, because I don't yet know how to play the game, everything inside seems double bizarre. Like, there are six, probably four-inch-wide tokens that are just question marks. On both sides? Both sides. Identical. Identical on both sides. Hmm. What are they Maybe for? They're, 
Are they clues? No, question marks the opposite of clues. Exactly. And, like, I've opened one drawer so far. I have no idea what's in the others. Like, I know the hand is in one of the... is in somewhere in this box, but that's the, about it. The oft-referenced hand. Yeah. But I found 18 card decks in drawer number two, which is the one I've opened. Is there any means to, to separate out these card decks, just out of interest? Or are they all just jammed in there loose? No, no, they are all in, in individually wrapped cellophane at the moment. Cool, but then once you open them... Oh, it goes to shit. <laughs> there is a single long tray and no dividers. <laughs> that I've found. Like, there might be dividers. There's empty slots for shit. But Behind I don't know what goes in them. Three. I, yeah, the, 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 so, so Chris was sharing pictures of this in the Discord. This appears to be an empty slot, something where like a two-part rod would go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I believe to that's the, the energy cell, which oh, powers the game. The, uh, the 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 inanimate carbon rod. Mm, yes. Mm. That that's powers that's... the nuclear reactor. That's where cool. fission happens. Mm. Monty, you're a madman. Like, you're, this box is you're insane. You're a dangerous lunatic. But, crucially... It is doing its job. Like it is working. Mm. Like I there's no other role playing game I've ever I've ever had in my house where I've not wanted to open it because it's too much fun. That's very true. Like And it comes the, in a box. It comes in a box and the, the ceremony of it, like that box mm. is the RPG equivalent of Catholicism. Go on. Like, I'm not sure I want any part of it, but I really like the Braggadocio it's it's rocking at the moment. <laughs> I love I love the hustle you're bringing, Jesus. It's yeah, great. like the, the the pomp and circumstance. Mm. I'm not sure I believe in you as such, but I really like the robes. It's definitely got people talking, mm. um, and it was it was certainly I, th- I think it's it's a va- it's a valid research uh, purchase for us as as we as we grow as a, <laughs> as, a, as, a, as a games design studio. We should understand what our rivals, the insidious and villainous Monty Cook Co, are up to. Yes, um, and they're making my, big black cubes. My plan for it is to actually play a game, rules as written. I'm not. I don't, I'm not sure that's possible. I'm going to give it a good old college try. Okay. Um, and then I'm going to try and repurpose absolutely everything in that box for a different game. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see if I can put the Sooth deck in Trail of Cthulhu. You know, I just just want to go nuts with it. I want to see if you can if if, if you can apply cut up culture. To that box and see and see if you can remix it into other games. I think it's entirely possible because it's all on cards. Like I haven't. Like, so I can I can see the section where the books go, but mm. crucially they're all turned round, so you just you have no idea what they are. Oh, what a mystery! Um, and I and I haven't gotten to that bit yet. What an exquisite tease! And it's lovely opening a game this slow because, like, you open a copy of say Spire. Yeah, it's great. Looks pretty. But there's no mystery to it, you You've know. Blown your load by the character classes. Exactly. Whereas this, this like, one keeps you guessing. I've, I've, there, there are three envelopes I found that I don't know what's in yet because I haven't opened them. Mm. Are you like supposed that. to? I really hope so. Well, one of them says "prop envelope," so okay. probably. Okay. Well, is, is that well? I mean, at that point, that's that's not a real envelope. It's just a prop envelope you give to someone <laughs> if they have to have an envelope. <laughs> if there's a scene that requires an envelope, you pass them that. Yeah, like prop jewelry. Yeah. It's not real jewellery. Christopher, mm-hmm. tear your eyes away from this tantalising box. There's nothing to look at, mate. It's just flat black. Rip your attention from Monty's special cube. Because mm-hmm. it's time for a podcast. 
Would you like a question? Is that what you're I'd after? I love a question. That's what I'm going for. You're really just gunning for questions, eh? I'm, I'm revved up and, and ready. Give me a question. I'll see if I can answer it. Mike from Clarksbro asks, I have some ideas for an RPG, but I'm not sure if I have a good story idea or a good setting idea. What makes a good setting for a system? And what about a good story idea? What makes a good setting for a system? So I think what Mike's getting at here is that like one of the things that we've quite often said is just write a book. Like yeah, it just, needs just to be write a, a novel already, yeah? Yeah, just write a novel. God damn it, just write a novel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what Mike's trying to get at is like, at what point is it good for a setting in a game? Or at which point mm. should I just go and write a novel? I might be getting that wrong, Mike. Do shout at me if I am. Please speak to Chris politely. He's a delicate flower. I am. Don't shout at him. I think there's... It's a challenge because, like, if you if you find yourself... If you find yourself writing a huge amount of backstory to the events of the game, like, like to the events of the setting that as they are today, if there's a reading comprehension task, if you're basically having to put, put in a Silmarillion, that's a book, <laughs> and that's okay. Yeah. But books are valid. And like you can have this huge, rich world, which 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 you can sit down and then carefully guide the reader through and understand things and sort of reveal. Oh, how exciting! If you try and put players in that, they'll you can't control the actions of players, and you can't control the actions of GMs who run your game. So, the vaguer you can make a setting, the better, really. Yeah, I think like if you've made a, if if you've written a load of stuff for your setting, and you've told all the stories you want to tell already. That's a book. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking at it going, oh, wouldn't it be cool if, I, if there was a story over here and one here and you mm. could use this, then that starts becoming a setting. You need gaps. A, you need space is, for people to operate in. It's really strange working in this game design because working as world building from a game design point of view, well, from the way we do it anyway, mm. in as much as you have to imagine about the first 25 to to. to 30% of a story, and then stop. <laughs> but provide a framework up to 60%. Yes. And then leave it alone for the rest. And just really hope that the rules will carry you through. Mm. It's, 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 it's a very strange thing. way of doing things. I, mean, I like it, you know. Oh, for sure. It's more. I think it's more fun than going, ah, we haven't accounted for what happened in 1963. <laughs> We've, no, we just haven't looked at the political ramifications of that single action. Yeah, that's... Mm. Ooh, we have to rewrite this. And if you if there's a great deal of research to be done, then the players have to read it so they can fully understand the setting. And if the players know more of the setting than the GM, then you've got a real problem. Yeah, like nobody's doing research. Let's be honest here. Well, I don't know. Unless you're playing Eclipse Phase. Yes, you do need to understand Eclipse Phase. Yeah. And there's there's a, a, like any sort of hard sci-fi game or I suppose hard magic game, by which I mean. One where the rules of magic are strictly enforced, rather than ah fuck it, whatever it's magic. Yeah, do a, do a laser bolt, whatevs. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, lightning breath, love it, make it happen. That that yeah yeah, hide inside your own hat. It's brilliant. I love it. Make it work. <laughs> it's it can be really challenging. I think that there's nothing to stop you from doing both. No. But if you uh, if you don't have a setting for it, hang on a second. What's the question again? <laughs> I'm not sure if I have a story idea or a good setting idea. I would always recommend uh, just writing a a setting rather than a story because it's much easier. It's it's literally half the work. Yeah, it's just half the work. And all you need to do is come up with a supremely robust 
mechanical system, which lets other people finish off your, your lazy work. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty solid way of operating a business, really. Did we answer this question at all? I think we tried. Yeah, we had We definitely go. nudged up against it. Luke writes in, What are some good ways to get groups of newer players into role-playing? As in, RPing their character a bit. I find this really hard, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I find it hard for, for, to, to get me role-playing sometimes. Mm. And doing the silly voice and stuff because of being self-conscious and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you do struggle, don't you? Yeah. So, like, when I get into it, I get into it and it works and mm. it's fine. But it's that first hurdle that is the most difficult for everybody. Mm. And I cannot stress enough how good bad silly voices are. Mm-hmm. Because they they show you being an idiot and that it's fine to be an idiot here. You know? Yeah. It's fine to be silly. It's fine to do stuff wrong. And kind of yes. establishing that baseline of, no, 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 we're all friends. I know my, my accent was terrible, but that's fine. And that's, that's, that's the GM's responsibility there, to, like, to start doing, start doing a, a voice which doesn't quite work immediately. Yeah, and I mean, that's, that's like one of the added pressures on GMs, right? Like, you've mm. got to be the first one into the breach every time. Pretty much, yeah. You've got to, you've got to go, no, no, we can, we can do this in this game. We've all agreed to like the tone of the game and what's going on. Go for it. Just go nuts. Enjoy yourself. Yeah, this this is a safe space. Yeah. I would also I would also recommend uh wine. Oh yeah, a good bit of wine. Yeah. White rather than beer, I'd go for wine. It's more yep. it's a more efficient drink. And you it's less likely to go wrong. At least twenty five percent of a bottle. Mm-hmm. That's your baseline. And like and like at that point, maybe it's not so bad you get to do a voice. You know? Yeah. Maybe that's fun. I think as well, like um asking them leading questions. Is useful. So, like, so the best way that you can that you can uh, draw someone into the role playing and uh, helping them to play their characters a little bit to behave in a way different from their normal behavior is to set up a situation which they can interact with, rather than like if you say there's this huge city and there's a market and there's a church and there's spooky catacombs <laughs> and there's uh, giant bats flying overhead. Okay, cool, but there's nothing immediate that that's, that's, that's forcing me to do something. At this point, I'm just clicking on menus and going and looking around. But also, Whereas, that, that hits a lot of people with um, option paralysis. Yes. Like, you've given them too many things. Whereas, if you have a guy come up to them and be like, Alright, sir, are you interested in buying one of my giant bats? They also serve as charming carriage clocks. Mm, it's not a normal bat I've just put very close. <laughs> it's giant. And, if you just uh, sign up for a modicum of life insurance, <laughs> this will be free. Are you interested in procuring a timeshare of a regular-sized bat, but close? <laughs> and it's, like, if you give them these things to work with, then the character can be, like, generally someone a bit, oh, fuck off. You know, I, I don't want, I, I don't want to buy a bat, but at least that's given them the chance to speak as their character. And you, like, you, 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 you go up to them, you engage in them, but you put the voice on, and you bring, you bring the party to them, as yeah. it were. But also, even if they just brush it off, essentially, yeah. that's still a valid character choice. Yeah, and that's, that's like fine. the first step. And I think the like you can generally tell when you've got someone uh, when you put forward an obvious ruse. You put forward like like that sort of giant bat bullshit I was talking about earlier. Mm. Uh, you can tell you got someone when the player's like, "Oh yeah, okay, yes, I'd like to invest in your bets." <laughs> exactly. Like like you know it's a lie. The player knows it a lie. Knows it's a lie. But the character is like, "Oh yeah, sure, I want to go along with this. That sounds like fun." 
Yeah, like recently in a game, I had uh, an NPC who was an ex-warrior. She's ninety now. Mm. Like terribly foul-mouthed, um, in a in a position of religious power, and she just at one point tells a character like, "You need to go down to the basement. It's fuck awful down there, monsters and all sorts of stuff." And they're like, "Yeah, yeah, let's do this." Like they kind of bought into the whole character, and it was mm-hmm. nice where they they kind of started suddenly interacting with the world and with that person mm. by that person giving them a you're doing this yes. which is essentially an option to, to go hell no I'll fight against whatever you say or to yeah. go along with it and that ultimatum forced mm. an issue like it, it was yeah. either, you, you can only do a positive or a negative response right yeah. there's no other options and that lets you just easily fall into well, well my character will be angry at this Mm-hmm. Or whatever, and it makes it a lot easier when you've got like well-rounded NPCs. Yeah, I think also making making stakes clear uh, is, is is kind of important. So like a, a lot of people feel uncertain about about role-playing things because they're worried that they're going to get it wrong, mm. or they're worried it's going to happen. So saying, okay, so as we go into this scene, you're trying to charm your way into the area behind the bar. If you succeed on this, you get behind the bar. If you fail at this, the bartender kicks you out. Yeah, it's not like you lose the campaign. Yeah, uh, it, it it makes it very clear what's at stake, and um, giving and like and giving people the option to like oh or, or like letting them roll first and saying oh it went really well let's play it out so it goes really well oh, it went really badly let's play it out let's play out what happened there and we know that you lose this scene. Mm. So yes, let's do that. Really do well. all those things. Wine, aggressive questions. Foul-mouthed ninety-year-olds. Bring, bring, the, bring your NPC game is the easiest answer, mm-hmm. honestly. Yes. Give me a question. This is posted on Reddit by GS seven seven seven. Are we in the golden age of games? More products, more interests. D and D is mainstream. Are we in the golden age of not only RPG but tabletop games as a whole? What? <sighs> Maybe. I don't think it's possible to recognise a golden age until it's until it's happened. Yeah, you can only tell a golden age once it's gone downhill. Like, there's certainly a lot of things. Um, lots of people play Dungeons and Dragons now, but we still have huge problems with the with the makeup of the industry. Mm. We still have huge problems like like there's we have huge problems with the kind of stories that we're telling as well. Like there's and there's there's so little focus on things which aren't I like, go and take its shoes. Yeah. I mean even like like vampire. Was for a while very popular, and all of your all of your World of Darkness books. Fucking no one plays them now. Yeah, exactly. Like, Mainly because it's, White Wolf fucked up. Yes, but like it, it was easy, honestly, to look at the golden age of RPGs as that period when D and D and Vampire was so strong. Mm. Like that's potentially a golden age, but but then again, no one knew what they were. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and like, I think also this is. To, this is a really pessimistic look at games. Like, Go on. If, it says gold, if, if this is the golden age of games, is this as good as it's getting? <laughs> it's not going to get any better than we're at right now. Yeah. That's worrying to me. I always feel like, like the golden age of cinema in, like, in like the 1920s. It was, it was viewed as the golden age of cinema. And I'm not going to say the films are better now or worse, worse now than they were then. But it, it, it was an element of like, oh, hey, we've got this. We understand how it works now. We can make this stuff. Yeah, and we're still not at that, right? Like, no. We we know how games work. We've always known how games work because it's maths. We're, 
we are a scrappy industry. Well, like, well, I think as an industry, but I think we're less than fifty years old, aren't we? Yeah, probably. Like when we're done, like late seventies. I can't remember the start date. Seventy-three, I think. Yeah. Yeah, as, which essentially means it started in the eighties. Yes, and it's not really tangential to other. Like, there's jobs which require knowledge of new technologies, but they generally sort of dovetail into other jobs. You know, like yeah. oh, I'm going to I'm going to do technology at this newspaper, that sort of thing. Whereas there's no, there's not really aside from selling people big thick fantasy books, there's not really any sort of relevant, I guess, board games. But it's different from what we do. Yeah, and like there's this comment that D and D is mainstream. Is mm. it? If I go More out into the mainstream. street and say, "Can you tell me what Dungeons Dragons is?" Roughly, like just yeah. a real basic thing, I'm going to guess they're not going to be able to tell me. No. On average. And I live in a student town. I also think that um, it's it's very easy to perceive things as mainstream because we've got much more tailored social groups now. Mm. So, like, my and Twitter... It's, it's easier to find those thing. social groups. Yeah. And it's, it's very easy to surround yourself with people who know, like, like, you can make jokes about... I can make jokes about bards, and thousands of people are going to get it because yeah. they're looking at me... Because I do jokes about bards, rather than go out in the street and be like, inspire competence, am I right? No one's <laughs> going to get that. No. Like, I, I think it's probably been about a year since I've had a proper extended conversation with somebody who doesn't know what D&D is. Yes, and long may that continue. <laughs> like, because I picked those people to talk to. <laughs> that's not golden age, that's not the world finally realising that, oh, role-playing games are great. That's me going, well, fuck everything else. I'm going to surround yeah. myself by books and miniatures. <laughs> Toy soldiers, please. Exactly. So, no, I don't think we're in a golden age. I think that we are really reaching for it. Like, mm-hmm. I think the industry now is in a position where they want it. Yeah, there is. Um, like, it is finally synced up with capitalism. Yeah. And, like, in the 90s, there was no outreach in games. No, I guess not. Like, there was no attempt to make a game for a marginalised community. I mean, like, mm-hmm. there's this whole game movement and the with the whole belonging outside belonging stuff and Dream mm. Askew and things like that. That, like, that doesn't that didn't exist in what could have been the golden age of gaming. No. But now we're in a position where, like, we can try and make those into good games. I think it's I think it's fascinating that we've we've hit a point over the last ten years. Six years, where now anyone can do it. Yeah. If you have, if you have an internet connection, and pro- I'm going to say the sort of computer that has a keyboard, yeah. that's what you need to start making games you and to make get, money from it. And to make money from it, like you can get art for free online, you can get um, layout programs for free online, you can sell these things through 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 itch.io, and there's this like much much in the same way that we that we went through this um, like an indie renaissance in computer games mm-hmm. about about a decade ago when it was like okay we can distribute stuff digitally now everyone's internet is fast enough to download this so we don't need publishers anymore go 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 and. Obviously, still like publishers still control PR, so they have they have the capacity to make people aware of games and to convince them that they want them. But the barrier to entry was so low, mm-hmm. and were and I think people are like people are getting into this in role playing games as more and more people are getting into role playing games, and, and it's like actually this isn't doing what I want. These like that the, the, these machines aren't telling the stories I want them to tell. I'm going to write my own machine. So the the way I kind of see it is like the the colonization of America, right? Okay. Like, we're talking frontier cowboy period. 
Yeehaw. Because what you've got is you've got people coming from an established culture mm-hmm. to a new land, right? So you've got the, the established culture is the old way of doing role-playing games. It's the White Wolf, Dungeons and Dragons, yeah. that sort of stuff. And then you've got people Thacko. coming to this huge, suddenly open space and claiming their, their zones mm. and laying claim to this, like, okay, cool, um, I'm going to make my name in... This is going to sound derogatory, but I really don't mean it. Woolly story games. Like rules light story games. We're not a million miles away from that description no, 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 ourselves, no, no, according know, to some of like, our playtesters, Chris. No, no, no I'm, <laughs> what I'm trying to say is like um, Dream Askew, right? Yeah. Is not, this is how the rules are. Yeah. It is, it is intentionally woollier and open to interpretation. And it tells incredible stories. And like it's claimed an area. And we're in that period. We're in that frontier period of pick, of everybody going, staking claims on stuff, yeah. and pushing towards as eventually building New York. You know, yeah, well, I suppose uh, Los Angeles. But you know what I yeah. mean. Yes, it's also interesting. Like we're like we're chatting about that, and because we're in the industry, we see so many of these new designers coming up with some of these cool new ideas. Like, oh, we're using these systems. We're hacking them. We're building our own thing. And there's this huge movement of like, oh yeah, you can just run it in Dungeons and Dragons though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to do a murder mystery game set on the moon. Oh, you could just run it in Dungeons and Dragons. Fuck off. Well, those those are the people that have stayed back in Denmark. Ah, rather in this, than in this analogy. In this analogy, right? So, so the so the Dutch moved a lot of people over to America. True, these people yeah. stayed in Denmark mm, or okay. Ireland, primarily, I guess. Aren't aren't uh, aren't Dutch people from Holland? Possibly. Okay. Yeah, the Danes, aren't they? I apologise. I've got a question for you. Oh, please ask it. Mink writes in. I was GMing. A player hit the X card over something I really should have thought would be upsetting. I felt so awful, I didn't handle it well and lost the thread of the game. What's a pragmatic way to deal with a player saying you made them uncomfortable? A person pressing the X card is not your fault. No. That's what the X card is for. You are not expected at any point to predict how everybody sitting at a table is going to feel. That's you not are on not you. psychic. It's not on you. That's why mm-hmm. the expert is there, so they can tell you without having to fully explain um, when I was young, a spider jumped in my eye. Yeah. You know? Like, that's going to freak anybody out. Therefore, I don't like spiders anymore. Therefore, I don't yeah. particularly want to deal with them. Um, but in, at no point is somebody pushing the X card your fault. Yeah. Because you probably, if you've got an excellent table, you probably already talked over lines and veils, mm-hmm. um, and this hasn't, this just hasn't come up. And sometimes it will yeah. squick people out, and sometimes it won't. So rather than using safe words um, in in BDSM subculture, I've I've, I've learned of a new uh, a new system of doing it because like, I've always found safe words honestly funny, <laughs> and I get that it's supposed to break the flow, but I find them too funny and incongruous. Mm-hmm. But there's, uh, there's, uh, they use a traffic light system. There's green, orange, and red. And green is, yes, love it. More of that, please. Orange is, hmm, can we maybe, like, like lean back on this a little bit? Can we, like, can we slow down? Can you do less of what you're doing? And red is, stop, we need to break this. Yeah. And we need to, um, we, we need to drop character, basically, and regroup. And that's really good. That's brilliant. Because it gives you that, it gives you that middle ground of, like, oh, I'm having a nice time, but I'd just rather do something else right now. And that's that's kind of like touching the X card. Is say, actually, I don't want to talk about this, but I want to keep playing the game. Yeah, like the red version of that would be getting up and leaving. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like if it was that extreme. Um, you've you've made a very good point, and that it's not on Mink to 
to a to 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 read the minds of everyone involved. No, nope. this is this like this is using the tools intended, and it seems like you've you've done nothing wrong here. Yeah, that that's the key. Like the X card is a button anybody can press when they don't like something, mm. for honestly whatever reason. Um, Any reason? Uh, yeah, I'm not gonna I'm gonna judge your reasons. Um, yeah. But it's not for you to, to to predict what somebody's not going to like and then definitely don't feel bad. Like you mm. ask, what's a pragmatic way to deal with a player saying you made them uncomfortable? Uh, you made them uncomfortable. That's okay. Yeah, like from the sounds of things, you took it out of the game and then you carried on playing. If you'd have then gone, nah, fuck you. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> then that's your problem. You're being an yeah. asshole. Don't do that. But from what you said here, you didn't do that. And... Um, <laughs> It's fine. I think I think like you can like you can apologize as well and so, and and like if you're if you're losing the thread of a game for any reason like it's it's uh, unless you've built like this incredible magic circle around you and you've got this really like tense atmosphere it's absolutely fine to say oh actually let's break for five minutes really sorry about that folks uh, I'm really sorry I did that do you want to have a chat do you want to not have a chat that's absolutely cool give me five minutes to get myself co- uh, collected while I swap out what's going on would anyone like a drink. Yeah, it's, it's fine. Pausing a game is something which so few people remember to do. Yeah, and like one of the big things that that is never, well, I say never, is rarely described in context with the X card, is that there should be no guilt, either yeah. to push, either to touching the X card, like mm-hmm. you shouldn't be afraid or guilty. You you stop the game, mm-hmm. and also if somebody else touches the X card, that's okay. You just you something happened you didn't expect. Mm. Because. I've started using my X card more more often. I've actually started touching it. Not really. In terms, like, well, like someone will make a joke, which, 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 which is like, oh, I'm actually not comfortable with that joke because it's pushed us out of the tone of the game. So, I'll, so I'll, I'll just lean forward and touch the card and be like, oh, can we change that? Okay. And it's just, it's just, it's a really neat way of saying actually that isn't actually that isn't gelling with what's going on for me. I didn't, I don't enjoy that. No, I don't enjoy the story you're telling. I honestly I never to... thought about using an X card in that context. Uh, I always thought it was a uh, an escape mechanism. Mm. I um, guess it's both. Yeah, but like using it like actually, we're trying to we're trying to enforce a tone here, a tone we've all agreed mm. on, mm. and you're not doing that with what you're doing. There's also the uh, I think I forget the name of it. It's called the white card. You aware of this? I, I'm not. You touch it when when you really like what's happening. <laughs> You're like, yeah, more of this, please. And that's 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 like that's, that's really nice because there's so few mechanisms in place to say, hey, hey, I'm really enjoying this. You're doing well. Yeah. Like so much of that is hidden before or after the game in XP or in in like in in certain in like in certain games you can push people to do certain things or ask them to do certain things if you find that interesting. But when you're actually live, there's very few mechanics for like, fuck yeah, well done, man. Yeah. I should be quite nice if they kind of enforce that cons because I just bring a deck of them and like make it rain on the GM when something good happens. Here <laughs> <laughs> have thirty. Keep dancing. Keep dancing. <laughs> I paid my four dollars. <laughs> I paid my dues. I think we should have one more question, and then I think we should. We should um, move on. Silent Pete on the Discord asks, "How do you deal with players that out of game talk up that they're amazing role players, but actually in game they contribute nothing?" All mouth and no jerking. <laughs> All mouth and no d. All tongue and no doublet. I don't know who you're playing with, Silent Pete, who talk up that they're amazing role players, but they sound like dicks. 
Oh and yeah, then, I'm an amazing role player. Oh yeah, I get really into the character. Um, I yeah, yeah, hugely. I've won an any for my role play. <laughs> <laughs> Best paladin yeah, goes any, to this douche. Anybody that talks up their skills in something is probably an ass. Now, now, I want to put forward something. All Americans. Oh yes, okay. Different cultures, fair. Yes, they are. They are culturally like they're predisposed to yell about how great they are. Yeah. That seems to be that seems to be a big thing, and like honestly, it very much seems to work for them. Oh sure, yeah. I, it's just it's so alien to me. It is perverse trying to market oneself as a Brit. Mm. You're not and allowed like, to say positive traits about yourself, even in a no, CV. No, no, no. no. Um, and like, I'm like, you have to deny it if someone else says it to you. Yes. Or like, now the real trick is minimizing. Your own contribution, but saying what what you've done. Yes, like saying, like essentially, you have to say, "I did ninety percent of the work here, mm-hmm. but it was all X." Yeah. They really, they well, really pulled the project through. Like I worked for six years on this critically acclaimed, beautifully illustrated, stupid little RPG. <laughs> Silly little thing. Just continually self sabotage all the time. Yeah. Anyway. Point is, Americans, and we're like, yeehaw, partner, I done wrote the best game in all the Christendom. Mm. How about you saddle up on your horse and come down? That's how they all sound. That is what they sound like, yeah. There's no yeah. regional variation in dialect. None at all, partner. <laughs> I think that this is these are the actions of a nervous person. Yeah. Honestly. Like, if someone, if someone is shit hot, they'll just let it talk for themselves, generally. Um, and... If they are shit hot and, and they chop themselves up, then fine. You know, enjoy having them at the table. Deal with a bit at the, at the top. But it sounds like someone has really talked themselves up a great deal, and now the um, the 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 phrase I've got in my head is the meat is on the table, which is not a phrase. <laughs> now that the lamb is near the salad, we can begin. <laughs> <laughs> the lamb is uncovered, and we're ready to rock. And this person suddenly realised that actually, this isn't the same as doing play-by-post. This is different yeah. and requires thinking on your feet skills. And also, you can't fully control everything. No matter how much you've thought about what an elf might do, it's very difficult to actually say what that elf does when there's a load of other elves being like, Oh, I fuck it! <laughs> and you can't run, you can't run your verbal um, response very quickly through Hemingway Editor. No. To make you sound a lot cleverer. No. So give this person um, one a slap, and then two, <laughs> just just some time. Maybe give them the slap afterwards. I don't know. Yeah. But um, clearly they're a bit nervous. So uh, what you want to do is really put them on the spot. <laughs> I slap them if they do something wrong in any way. Like operant conditioning is very strong. Invite them over. Sorry. Email every other player and tell them the game's going to be postponed for an hour, and then do an intense one-on-one roleplay session for a full hour with them. Shirtless. If you'd like. Obviously. Well, at least one of you has to be shirtless. In the garden. Shirtless. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cold day. Standing up. You're shirtless. You've got, you've got, you've got shorts on. I'm imagining that they're like knee-length shorts, not swimming shorts. And you're standing in a, in a child's paddling pool full of water. And you, and you gesture them over. Come here. Come here, boy. Get in. Get in. Now tell me about your elf. <laughs> well, honestly, like, for, for an actual answer, 
Look oh. at the, the question from earlier of how to get newer players role-playing. Mm. Do that. Awesome. It doesn't matter if they've role-played for 30 years. It's still useful for everyone. Look at their character sheet. And the character sheet will tell you what they're interested in. It's yeah. a trick. So if someone's picked a skill, give them opportunities to do that skill. That's that's basically how to run a game, primarily. <laughs> yeah. Your your players have very graciously given you a big list of things they're interested in, and all you have to do is pick, I'm going to say, two of them per session. And it's basically fine. Yeah, it's really easy. That's the thing nobody tells you. Yeah, running games is really easy. Put on a silly voice once per session. Yeah. Oh, you, don't, you don't do it all the yeah, time, whatever. just like once per session. Yeah. Look at their character sheets, and then do their character sheets, but as a story. Yeah. That's it. It's, it's literally bullet points in, Scot- in a Scottish accent. We'll probably stop the uh, podcast now. That's it. We've answered, we, we've answered the question. Quick, let's move on to game design before anyone notices. Did you ever want a game to exist? But not enough to make it yourself. Grant and Chris make games. Ursidice writes in, Cyberpunk 2020 Cricket. That's exactly the one I picked. For my first game as well. It's pretty good. It's a strong pitch, isn't it? So what I'm imagining... One, there will be a strong pitch. Yeah, like a mighty pitch. Like iron. Concrete. Concrete's good. What I'm imagining, it's a. Uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a computer game, I'm afraid, because I don't think you can make an interesting cricket role-playing game. <laughs> Grant, you can't make a cricket, an interesting cricket game. It's cricket. Hear, hear me out here. Hear me out here. You take the visuals and tech of satellite rain... And combine it with cricket. Okay, now what's satellite rain? Good question. It's a, it, was, it was a top down. It was a is the spiritual successor to Syndicate. Okay, you've got so you've got neon cricket bats. You've got like cyber augmented uh, bowlers mm-hmm. who are who are who are throwing the ball, and then there's there's, there's a pneumatic tube in their arm which poof, fires it out like fucking Iron Man. Yeah, and you you're looking at like a thousand feet per second. Yeah, thousand feet per second. Like, like it's it, it works more like Formula One racing. Is it's much more about the technology, yeah, than the people. Like the ball is moving at the sort of speed where you need a very specific tracking module to know where it is. Hundred percent. Now, you've got you've like the entire thing's filmed on very very expensive slow motion cameras, so you can see it happen. <laughs> yeah, like on telly, it's played at one third speed. Every. Every player must have at least twenty percent meat. Okay, so there there is a meat limit. They're not robots, but they got to like that. Like, you can't just have robots. You've got to like have to be living humans. That's interesting because you could do different like like different formulas. Like there's Formula One and Formula Four. Yeah, you could have like this only has to be ten percent meat. You have to be sixty percent meat in this one. Mm. So you've got different leagues. Mm-hmm. It's, it's quite hard to go down them once you've had the meat removed. <laughs> yeah, like yes, you only go up. Yeah, but you've got you've got like uh, like you uh, one instead of like the stumps that you can plug into the stumps. I don't know quite what it does, but you can definitely plug <laughs> into could, the stumps. You can jack into the stumps. Yeah, you can jack into the stumps, and you get like y- your awareness is spread all around you. So you can see where every single every single fielder is. However, they've got stealth gear. Oh, good. Like like um, what they're called, like like a like digital 
shimmering active camouflage. invisible yeah active camouflage that's the one yeah so like there's a constant arms race between the batsman and the fielder Sorry, the bats person the bat sport the bat sport and the fielder trying to work out where they are and what's going on season three you're looking at a full pitch and there's nobody on it <laughs> you cannot see a single person because it's just better to be invisible and there's there's this there's this tremendous flash of light and a crack and then suddenly all the fielders in a particular part of the field just give off chaff. <laughs> but like that that, <laughs> that angelic pattern that the, the US Air Force use. God damn. And one of the, you know, the, like like the, the umpire's hand, uh, during a dispute, the umpire's hand just unfolds into a submachine gun mm. just to enforce the rules. Because you can shoot them in the metal and they'll not die. The umpire has guns. Mm. I don't think the players have guns. No, I don't I think, think there this, must like, be a rule on that. This isn't. This isn't. This isn't like Mario Kart. This isn't. There's no weapons against each other. All we're doing is taking logical, taking cricket to its logical conclusion by developing it into a high-tech Tom Clancy-style arms race. Yes, it's already basically turn-based. Let's see if we can make it go so fast we can't understand it. I mean, all you really need to do is take like Rainbow Six Siege mm-hmm. and put a and put a cricket ball in the middle, and you've got this game. <laughs> <laughs> As Sun Tzu said, change the hostages for stumps. The best way to win at cricket is to fight an enemy team who do not know they are playing. <laughs> exactly. So there's a great deal of hacking taking place in Cyberpunk 2020 cricket because if you can if you can hack into the in, into your enemy team's uh, schedule so they don't know the games on that day, you win. Yeah. By if, default. if you turn up, you you've won. There's a great deal of ice. <laughs> now is this all televised? All of it. Mm. From like two weeks before the game. And they just agree not to watch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you can, like, it, it, it could be coded so they can't see it, right? Mm. I think a lot of people are going to die in this game of cricket. Not from guns or anything, but from the speed of the ball and being invisible. <laughs> <laughs> Right, and not knowing when the game's on. So you're just standing there in Tesco's getting your shopping. And, you know, somebody fires a cricket ball at like 10,000 PSI into your cranium, killing you instantly because they thought the stumps was through the wall. I don't think, I don't think like, it's going to be played. In, I assume it's played in an arena. Well, no, 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 if you hack it right, like you can set it up in Tesco's. That's true, you could move it, I guess. I'm yeah. not trying to work out what benefit that would give you having it in Tesco's. Well, because you leave the scheduling untouched, like it's at nine o'clock. But you don't mm. really let them see that you've changed it to the local Tesco's. You turn up at Tesco's at nine o'clock, and they're still in the stadium, big idiots. If and you, you win the game. If you use the, um, the Eclipse Phase slash Altered Carbon... <laughs> A style of um, of sleeving of, have, of having different bodies that <laughs> you having, can put in. You're putting in morphs now. Well, that's the th- so, 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 if, if you've got sleeving, if you've got morphs, could you potentially just have like your best batter just when when they're when they're struck out by I don't know a fucking helicopter comes in and steals the ball when they're struck out. They uh, they swap over with the next batter, but they take their brain chip out and put it in the next batman's batsman's head. Yeah, so you, you just continually have your best batsman. And he's just in different bodies. What you need is a batter, a bowler, and a catcher, and that's your team. Everybody else, like the two other, th- the two thousand other people on staff, are all just technicians. 
Like they're all engineers to keep to keep the bodies running. They're hacking the advertising. You know, they're they're doing administration. But there's only actually three people ever on the pitch, and it's just hiding rep- the ball. They just replicate their stacks across thousands of people. There's only one person playing. Yeah, one. There's there's one person playing both teams, and it's W C Fields, the resurrected brain of. Yeah, it's W C Fields, but it's an acronym. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful cricket for intrepid entertainers like them. Son? <laughs> I've got the S. <laughs> Alright, what's what's your suggestion? I really like Cyberpunk twenty twenty cricket, I'm not gonna lie. I think it's pretty there's, strong. Like I think there's there's a the, the, the idea of a four X game that happens to be done with cricket rather than fighting mm-hmm. is quite charming. What have you got for me? Uh, so Zalmon, who has a wonderful picture of, I believe, their cat as their Twitter icon, has Magic Muckers Inc. cleaning up arcane pollution for minimum wage. Now imagine okay. that you're in an office block. Yeah. And there has recently been a, a, a turf war between mages. Oh, no. In this office block. There's ectoplasm up the walls. There's there's a swarm of rats somewhere in the building, and all of them think as one. It's weird that you've gone for office block because that's not not normally the place I'd associate a wizard fight with. No, I'm just I'm, I try to think of somewhere just really boring and mundane. Yeah, okay, sure, yeah. Like it's just like a place down in Luton, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, Call center. Yeah. That sort of thing. It's yeah. a really mundane place, but like, you, like the telephone dials other uh, other galaxies now. There's a big horrible tongue comes out of it when you answer it. Yeah, and it just gently licks your ear, but it does have good reception. Um, I do quite like the idea of solving problems, like solving supernatural problems with mundane solutions. Yeah, like you've got these these essentially gods that just fight all over the place and destroy buildings, and you're the poor sort with a mop trying mm. to get all the ectoplasm out of the ceiling fan. It's a nightmare. Because there's the um, there's the Viscera cleanup crew, which does this for first person shooters. Yeah, where you're picking up all the body parts and yeah, which is which is fine, but there's not enough variety. There's not the the weird fourteen phenomena phenomena phenomenon. There's not enough of those in Viscera cleanup squad. So I, I can kind of get behind the idea of having to like first diagnose what the problem is. And then having to solve that. And again, no violence, just mops. Yeah, and like this, this this wall, right, has an inky black tar substance stuck to it, right? It's about 12 feet across. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you're just cleaning up. You've got, you got, you know, you got your mop, soapy bucket of water. Mm-hmm. You, you scrape your mop over it and instantly lose the end of your mop. Oh, no. What do you do now? You need some sort of hyperdimensional pressure washer. Exactly, but like, is that yeah. on this side of the awful portal to the Yawning Stars, or is that on the other side of the portal to the Yawning Stars? I am going to have to give the mop back in. Like, yeah, and also, you've got to account for that mop. Mm. Like, that's, full, that's important. Full uh, accountability and form-filling rules. Yeah. And like, I just think it's an idea to, it's a great fun to like diagnose, as you say, these, what, what the hell this was, what it's going to do and all you've got is the rough side of a sponge. I'd like to use this uh, use this opportunity to segue into a different office suggestion. Okay. From Quite Like Chris. He writes in 500 days of office Christmas party. Interesting. It's a horror scenario. You have an office Christmas party. And it's great. And everyone's having a lovely time. And then... And then you can't get out. <laughs> 
I see. And you're and you're in the office, and you have all the things for office Christmas party, but the building has been shut off by the government. <laughs> okay. And actually, wait. This is this is this is the this is the plot of a recent film. Is it? Yes, I think it's called Please Remain Calm. It doesn't. It takes. It's like a Christmas dinner rather than a an office Christmas party. Okay. Well, I mean, we can merge it with another one from Tales of a New DM, where you're where office ghosts, where you play as a vengeful ghost haunting an office location. So you've got the three different stages. You've got the people trapped at the Christmas party. Mm-hmm. You've got the office ghosts that are trapping them at the Christmas party, mm-hmm. and then you've got the day after Magic Muckers Inc. cleanup crew. Like it's a it's a stage a trilogy. Like it's a stage campaign where you play like three games as the people in the in the party, three games as the ghosts keeping them there, and three games cleaning up whatever the fuck they left behind. Hmm. Like really naughty photocopies of ghost bits. What I'd like to do is you play those three games out of sync. So you play the first game and then the second game and then the third game of each of each oh, you, of each set. You you stripe it. Yeah, you stripe it. Hmm. And like and like when you when you establish things in the in the 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 second and third ages of the office nightmare, uh, you can then like you write those down and then 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 they have to come up in earlier versions. Oh, so like like in the in the first one you play is the cleanup, let's just say, and the first thing you notice is that there's just this circular void where the photocopier should be. Mm-hmm. Like it's not just the photocopier exploded, but there's, no, there's a perfect a circle eaten yeah. out of the wall and the walls and ceiling and floor mm-hmm. and I, well I can't really clean that up that's that's a that's a hardware problem somebody's to come and fix mm-hmm. that that's fine so you carry on to something else but then when you go back to the party the photocopy is there mm. so now you've got to find and a way to explain what happens there you have and like and like I, I quite like the idea that like you, you you set up these mysteries organically and you discover these mysteries and then you and then you play a different group and it's like cool answer these mysteries tell us what happened and you've got them written down, like you can have them on a whiteboard or an index there. cards or what have you. And mechanically, you're rewarded for working out what happened there. Now, maybe we could do this that wasn't an office Christmas party and was about a serious game. Because that's, that's actually quite a neat idea. Well, the good thing about, about this game, right, is that we can sell it four times. What's the fourth? So we sell the Muckrakers one as a standalone. Yeah. We sell the ghost as a standalone, the office party as a standalone, and then we sell the framework to put them all together. Ah. See? Get them coming and going. Yeah. So you make the mad dollars yeah. for pay what you want products. Al Kennedy <laughs> writes in Crab Swarm Dance Off. Oh, God. LARP? It, the I mean, crabs. It's a LARP, and the crabs don't know they're playing. I think, crucially, it's not about the crabs. Now, no. hear me out here. I'm hearing you. You've got to get enough crabs to win a dance-off. You have two days. Okay. <laughs> That's the game. I see. So, there's an element of training the crabs? Well, like, you can steal it's the crabs prob- if you want to make it criminal. You can buy the crabs. Mm-hmm. You can you can ethically source the crabs. You can mm-hmm. catch the crab yourself, whatever. You, but you've got to get crabs, right? Yeah. And then you've got to try and find some possible way of synchronizing your crabs. Yeah, or, or at least making it look like what they're doing is a dance, or deliberate. Yeah, well, it's like that thing where you super glue a fly to a match, right? What? Have you ever done that? Okay. You no, make I've a, not. What? You make a little plane out of matches. <laughs> right. And then you super glue uh, flies to them. Right. Well, you, you have them in the freezer first so that they're, they're chilled out. 
And then as they warm up, they go, oh no, I'm stuck to something, and they fly off. And you get a little plane. They all fly in concert and fly this little plane around your room. Um, Realising now that what I I did as a child is technically animal cruelty. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, it's not like you did it with, like, dogs. No, it wasn't dogs or children. It It was flies, like, but still... You did it with crows. But do that with crabs. Have them fly a tiny matchstick plane. You know, That's quite charming. Glue them together a bit so that when one moves, they all move. So what you do is you get a load of crabs and nail them to a plank. Yeah. And then I suppose it's about it's about getting the thinnest, least visible plank. And, I mean, maybe you jazz that plank up, right? Maybe you put a boombox mm. on it. Like, like, make it look like one of those old-fashioned stages where the ladies do kicks. Yeah, and then you could actually have some crabs in those dresses on top, <laughs> wired up, so that you know, you know, those like machines that you put on your stomach that give you rock-hard abs in two minutes. The electroshock. Thing, That's yes. the fellas. Yeah, you get those yes. and just put them on the important joints of the crab. Are crabs conductive? They will be hey, when you, when you fire wet. when you fire paper clips through them. Um, and then you press the right buttons and you got yourself a dancing line. You just fire a revolver at the crab's feet to make them dance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But how so you make is... them dance is, is up to you. Like That's, that's mm, all in the play. Yeah. Like, I, I suppose it's, it's an interesting... It's, it's, a, it's a moral story because you've got two days and you need the money to, um, I don't know, save the orphanage or some shit. Mm-hmm. But if you perform cruelty for crabs in service of goodness to other people are you are you performing good acts yes like like does this like does this is what you earn by torturing these crabs so they dance enough to warrant the torture yes yes all I crabs are Nazis do, we do we oh okay is this is this this is in this is in like the universe of the game no oh no they they crabs do have very strong political views they just don't know how to voice them <laughs> if you ever give a crab a pen, it will always draw a swastika. It's without awful. fail. It's terrible. Brendan. Yeah. Brendan has suggested a game called The Other White Meat. But mm. white is W I G H T. Hmm. Okay. Now, is there a way that we can do essentially the Great British Bake Off, but with the undead? Two options. Mm-hmm. One. All the contestants are undead. Sure, that's easy. You got you got some problems with like bits of them coming off in the food. Got the vampire can't film during the day. The mummy like gets like maybe maybe like she gets her, her bandages caught in the oven. That sort of thing, you know. Now, you've been asked to make a very very small selection of cupcakes with with whatever colourful icing you want. And what what is this? It's blood. Hmm. <laughs> The last 14 entries you've done into this challenge have all just been a pint of blood. Did you know that the blood can replace eggs in the recipes? Yes, yes, we do know yes, that, we, actually. You yeah, have, yeah. You've, you've also yeah. told us four times today. Um, <laughs> we'd like you to participate in this or leave. Or, or, you make delicious dishes out of the undead. See, that's where I'm going. Mmm. Because what you've got a, you, technically you've got a limitless source of food, right? And the only undead with with meat on them that, are, that where the meat is actually a problem is mm-hmm. a zombie. Yeah. Like in most cases, like mummies, that's just jerky. Mm-hmm. That's aged. 
pyramid jerky. That's what I call them. Right? Like, that, that's an Egyptian <laughs> delicacy. Mm, um, okay. Frankenstein's. Frankenstein's Pickle- a difficult it's, it's, one. It's, it's pickled. But it does depend on whether the parts have been ethically sourced. That's true. You do want a free-range organic Frankenstein. You're going you're gonna to need to know origin here because you might mm-hmm. be related to one of them and that could get awkward at Christmas. Would you rather eat the leg of someone you know or someone you don't know? If it was somebody I knew and didn't like, then I'd prefer that one. Really? Mm. I think I'd rather, I'd rather eat the leg of someone I knew and liked. Really? Well, like, like if they're if they're involved in the process and saying, "Hey, do you want to eat my leg?" How do you express dominance through mealtimes? That's tr- oh, I, I I get my knife in one hand and my fork in the other hand, form fists and stamp them on the table until my food arrives. <laughs> oh yes, yes, I forgot you do. Me that hungry every time, <laughs> even if the restaurant rep doesn't have knives and forks, like it's a Burger King, I'll find knives and forks. <laughs> I'll bring from them from home. I'll go next door to Pizza Express. But like, imagine. Yes, me again. Mm-hmm. Imagine this, this, this entire thing is being judged by Sue Perkins and Strad von Zarovich. Mm. You know what? Similar energy. Yeah, like excellent, both excellent dresses. Mm-hmm. One's more of a blue colour scheme, one's more red and black. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it goes quite well. I want to put forward an honourable mention to Brendan, who wrote in Tilda Swinton builds a Clinton. <laughs> Strong rhyming structure. Award-winning actress and a total mistress of the night, Tilda Swinton needs to win an election by creating and manipulating the most milk toast possible candidate. <laughs> <laughs> Which is really solid. But we are out of time. We are. And I don't know how good the editing's been on this podcast, because I'm doing it, but Chris's internet has dropped out four times during this recording, so we're going we're gonna to kick this podcast into a bin. Yeah. And possibly uh, my internet into it. the bin. My lightning mm. fast, one meg up, part meg down ADSL. It's your fault for moving to the blasted north. Thank you for listening to Hearty Dice Friends. Our game this week is Cyberpunk 2020 Cricket, I believe. Absolutely. Yes. It is a strange and inscrutable arms race, which which eventually develops with the, with the, uh, the batsman becoming a nuke. <laughs> but like unfolding into a nuke, like a transformer. Yes. No, 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 it's just, it's like, it's like, it's a, it's a nuclear device and it's got, a, you, you've duct taped a, a cricket bat to it. <laughs> oh, I just kind of like that, like, instead of being Optimus Prime or a truck, you are a normal man or a nuclear warhead. It's a deterrent. He'd never think of bowling at the, at the exactly, nuclear like warhead. Exactly, like, you're completely animate, but don't, don't jostle you. Yeah, it's a, it's it's really it's a it's a it's a satirical game about brinksmanship. <laughs> yes, a word which I definitely know the meaning of. Yes. thank you for listening. We love you very much. If you want to support us, go to patreon.com forward slash hearty dice friends, and you two can join the Discord and see Chris gently and lovingly undress Monty Cook's magnum opus. We haven't reached the hand yet, which we're very excited about. You can also. Go to HDF Podcast on Twitter, or if you want to send us a question, you can send us a, a Gmail, send us an email to heartyniceFriends at gmail.com. We adore you so, so much. Chris's internet has dropped out again while I've been speaking. He stopped saying words, so I'm just going to call it a night. Uh, thank you. We love you. Goodbye from me, and goodbye from Chris, and goodbye to Chris's internet provider. Good night. Good night. Bye. There you go, you got a bye recorded. Da, da, da.